Hi, this is Emeka and Elandris, and you're listening to the So Far Us podcast, the 30-minute podcast where we break down a trending topic, centering the discussion on the Black millennial woman's experience, and explore what it means for us by answering with, so for us, now let's break down this episode's trending topic. The Kaiser Family Foundation has an ongoing research project that monitors and tracks the public's attitudes and experiences with the COVID-19 vaccine. On February 19th, they released a report on the attitude of Black women and men towards the COVID-19 vaccine. For Black women, they found that 19% said they definitely won't get it, 41% are more likely than other groups to want to wait and see, 69% of those who have not gotten the vaccine say they do not have enough information about side effects, and 87% are worried they might experience serious side effects from the vaccine. They also reported that 53% of the Black women say they trust the healthcare system to do what is right for them and their community only some or almost none of the time. This is Emeka. So for me, I also had concerns about potential side effects. I spent a lot of time discussing with a close friend all the information we both were gathering about the vaccines from our own online research. I also spent a lot of time on Clubhouse in the rooms where Black doctors spoke about COVID-19 and the vaccines. Ultimately, I decided, based on the information I found and received and believed to be true, getting the vaccine was the best choice for me, and I am now fully vaccinated with the Moderna vaccine. However, given the historical and current treatment of Black people within the American healthcare system, I believe Black people having concerns and or questions is valid and not surprising. So for Alindris, I spoke with my doctor who is a Black doctor, and after discussing the concerns I had about my medical complications, we had to determine what will be the best approach so that I do not have another reaction to this vaccine like I did to another many years ago. Currently, I am waiting to take my vaccine. It is disheartening to see our community suffering huge losses due to misinformation and justified historical distrust for the medical community. The decision to get vaccinated is not so simple. On January 29th, Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up to Congress without her mask, and when Congresswoman Cori Bush told her to put her mask on, Greene decided to verbally assault her to the point Congresswoman Bush had to move her offices because she did not feel safe. Keep in mind, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a QAnon conspiracy theorist who was allegedly in support of the assassination of Nancy Pelosi. She even tweeted... Pelosi's location during the January 6th domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol. Our host will discuss what it means to be both the backbone of change while also enduring being gaslit, threatened, and not believed when you are attacked. So for Landris, I think about the efforts of Latasha Brown with Black Voters Matter and how she spoke about how she was met with aggression by those in opposition to marginalized communities getting registered to vote. I think about the degradation of Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris's characters being targeted because of their race, gender, appearance, or previous relationships. I even think about how a man rushed the stage and snatched a microphone from Kamala Harris's hand. 
Why is it protect black women until it's time to actually protect black women? So for me, I think this has been the experience of black women since forever in this country, having to endure both racism and sexism, being harmed, mistreated and disrespected, all the while continually being a part of movements to push this country to do and be better for all of us, not just for black women, but for all of us. And yet the numbers show that we as black women in this country are unprotected and undervalued. I say, even though we know some people hate to see it, we continue to praise and lift each other up, fix each other's crowns, get rid of that imposter syndrome, ask for what we know we are worth and owed, and accept nothing less. McKinsey and Company recently released a study that found that Hollywood's continual undervaluing of Black-led projects costs it $10 billion a year. Nielsen has found that compared to other women, Black women spend almost 15 more hours a week consuming television programming. We also spend more time each week on apps on our phone or browsing the internet on our phone. When it comes to shopping, Nielsen describes Black women as trendsetters, also noting when it comes to beauty products, we over-index in both dollars per shopper and per household. And yet we are undervalued, underappreciated, and underrepresented in the media and by brands, in some cases having things looked down upon by others until they are appropriated by non-Black people, at which point they are considered trendy. Our hosts will discuss what it means to be cultural trendsetters without receiving reciprocity when it comes to recognition, appreciation, and compensation. This is Amanda. So for me, this especially hits home. Several years ago, I started a blog where Black people can share their thoughts and reviews on films and television shows to share our perspective on how we are being represented on TV and in films. A few years ago, I launched an online store for consumers wanting to shop Black-owned beauty brands. Of course, last year in 2020, we all noticed a significant increase in the media and brands speaking out on matters involving Black people and creating various opportunities for us. Now we'll begin to see if it was only a trend or will there truly be long-term change and continued improvement. I remember after the writer's strike in 2007 how television made this shift and social media took it to the next level. People like Lovey Ajayi started giving her take on Scandal, which, in my opinion, helped to drive its popularity. Many began to follow. Watching TV with hashtags became the new wave of giving us shows like Game of Thrones, their popularity. You also see the same impact with Popeye's, Nature Cereal, Vines, and even political involvement. However, we have not been able to monetize our contributions. Major companies are profiting off of our talents. Where are our coins? Black entertainment has been on the rise lately. However, so has Black trauma. We don't need to have our pain exploited in film and TV when news outlets give this to us every evening at six o'clock. Our hosts will discuss the need for more Black entertainment that takes us on adventures through the love tunnel and mythical worlds, not trauma. So for Landris, those of you who follow me know I live for history and all things nerdy. So when Bridgerton and The Witcher came out, I was living. 
I got a chance to enjoy stories that had black characters who were warriors and romantic interests. And I want to see more of this. I want to see more. I want to cry because my favorite character just got cursed by a witch into another dimension, not because the police had a bad day. This is Emeka, and for me, I appreciate television writers and showrunners like Misha Green, who are able to create shows like Lovecraft Country that depict painful historical atrocities faced by Black people in creative and unique ways that can be educational, entertaining, and center Black characters in genres we're not often seen in, without creating and leaning solely into a Black trauma porn trope. I'm grateful for shows like Insecure that show Black women with different backgrounds, melanin, personalities, and shapes and sizes going through universal everyday life experiences that are not solely rooted in Black pain or trauma. I'm thankful for young people like Marseille Martin, who's already making such a great impact in Hollywood, not just by being the youngest person to produce a film in Hollywood, but even more so for speaking publicly about her refusal to do films centered on Black pain and making sure one of her latest projects as producer includes an all-brown-skinned girl cast. Last month, in the same week, The Texas Senate voted to approve a House bill that many feel limits teachers' ability to discuss race and racism in the classroom. And UNC denied tenure to Nicole Hannah-Jones, the creator of the 1619 Project, the New York Times long-form journalism project that aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of Black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. Our host will discuss the importance of knowing and sharing Black history, why people want to suppress it, and how we can preserve it. This is Emeka, and for me, I appreciate television writers and showrunners like Misha Green, who are able to create shows like Lovecraft Country that depict painful historical atrocities faced by Black people in creative and unique ways that can be educational, entertaining, and center Black characters in genres we're not often seen in, without creating and leaning solely into a Black trauma porn trope. I'm grateful for shows like Insecure that show Black women with different backgrounds, melanin, personalities, and shapes and sizes going through universal everyday life experiences that are not solely rooted in Black pain or trauma. I'm thankful for young people like Marseille Martin, who's already making such a great impact in Hollywood, not just by being the youngest person to produce a film in Hollywood, but even more so for speaking publicly about her refusal to do films centered on Black pain and making sure one of her latest projects as producer includes an all-brown-skinned girl cast. So for Alandris, I discuss historical content through the Black experience on my personal page because what we are taught in school teaches American history without any Black contributions outside of MLK and Rosa Parks. The question then becomes, how are you legally banning a history that's already being omitted? Black people make up 13% of the population is a common statistic. But did you also know a 2014 study revealed Black women had the most post-secondary degrees in the U.S. and attributed to them being the most educated group? More than 50% of all Black professionals come from HBCUs. 
Nielsen's seventh annual Diverse Intelligence Series report found Black women are the biggest trendsetters and influence mainstream culture the most. So I ask you, why do we not feel good enough? I used to teach middle and high school. Seeing young Black children say, I am not beautiful or talking Black means you're stupid. And seeing some of this language perpetuated by adults was even more disheartening. For years, we have been taught that we are inferior. However, the numbers don't lie. We are far better than these negative stereotypes. So for Alandris, I recommend that we walk into that. This is a method. So for me, this reminds me of one of my first freshman meetings in my dorm in undergrad. It was a Black-themed dorm at one of the top universities in the country, which was also a PWI, and our dorm was 50% Black. This meeting was the first time I heard the term imposter syndrome, and we were told that we might have moments when we questioned how we were accepted into the university and whether we really belonged or just somehow slipped in. And the purpose of the meeting was to affirm us and tell us we absolutely belong there and deserve to be there and to take that knowledge with us into the classrooms and throughout all of our experiences there. That has stuck with me. And sad to say, I and many other Black women I know continue to suffer from imposter syndrome from time to time. I think it's important that in the same way my dorm did freshman year, we have to affirm ourselves and each other to remind us no matter how others may treat us, we absolutely belong and deserve to be exactly where we are at. The Summer Olympics concluded a few weeks ago, and many of the things that happened off the court, mat, track, etc., were reminders of challenges we as Black women face no matter how amazingly talented we are. The sole cap swimming caps were banned from the Olympics. Simone Biles, who has tied the record for most decorated gymnasts of all time, was criticized for prioritizing her health and well-being by stepping back from some events. Just a few years ago, Allison Felix, who is now the most decorated female track and field Olympian and most decorated American track and field athlete in Olympics history, wrote an op-ed for the New York Times about how poorly Nike treated her when she became a mother. And while some Olympians used this year's Olympics to promote their cannabis business, including Olympian ambassadors, Shakari Richardson, the sixth fastest woman of all time, was suspended and made ineligible for the Olympics because she tested positive for recent cannabis use, which was related to coping with the passing of her mother. This is a Mecca, and for me, I'm so proud of and inspired by so many Black women athletes. They stand as examples of not only excelling in your career, but in prioritizing self-care, speaking up and standing up for ourselves and our beliefs, and not letting obstacles derail us and take us off our path. I've fought to protect my sanity and my privacy because the quality of my life depended on it. The amazing words of Queen Beyonce from her Harper's Bazaar interview that I have been sitting with since I have read it. This is Alandris. I hope seeing Black women athletes take a stand for their mental health ushers in a new meaning for the phrase strong Black woman.
Thanks for taking the time to listen to the So For Us podcast. Be sure to check us out on your favorite social media sites using the at So For Us podcast handle. Like, comment, leave a review, send us a trending topic you'd like us to discuss, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We'll talk to you soon in the best place that is So For Us.